When John was nine, he ran away from home. And to explain why, he left a note. Dear mom and dad, I'm running away until lunch. (laughs) Because I cheated on a test this year and last year. P.S. Don't call the police or 911. P.S.T. Don't come looking for me. I won't go off the block. Love, Jonathan. That's John explaining why he had to run away from home, at least until lunch. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hello, how are you doing tonight? It is lovely to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Montreal, we have a definition of love, literary analysis of Shakespeare, and an escape from a drug rehab program. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and some of it can help explain why we turned out the way we did. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. When Gabriel was in grade six, his teacher gave the class writing assignments, where they had to respond to prompts. At our Montreal show, Gabriel shared one of those assignments. This is his response to the question, what is love? Now remember, he was in grade six. What is love? Love is like a feeling, a happy feeling. Well, that's what they say. But in my watch, love is used to parasite the mind of grade five and sometimes grade six kids, making them become mini teenagers talking about love all the time. (laughs) Yes, it's true. Love is a feeling, just a feeling. But it is something that makes you happy. Take my mom, for example, I love her as I do with my family because she cares about me. Well, sometimes way too much. (laughs) And she's nice and all that stuff. Love for someone is caring, treating the person good, etc. Well, that's what I think. But that's not all. They say love is something wonderful. But in my watch, it's just another feeling. In addition, I'm only 12 years old, and I pretty much don't care about what the others said about love. In addition to all this, love... It's used all the time on television and movies because the producers don't have imagination. Same with video games. Companies like Nintendo only want money and use commercials to make millions of Canadian kids buy and buy every time that happens. For me, that's the reverse of love. At least there is family love, like the love I have for my mom. She is the best mom ever. And I don't care if in another dimension there are super moms. My mother forever and ever will be the best mom in the whole world and nothing is gonna change that. Thank you. Sometimes the things we write as kids foreshadow the people we will eventually become. And our next reader, Kristen, she's a pretty good example of this. 
When she was in grade five and six, Kristen studied Shakespeare in English class, the same way a lot of kids study Shakespeare in school. Live on stage, here's Kristen sharing a few pieces of literary analysis. My thoughts on Macbeth. Very funky. (laughs) Macbeth was a fine man with just a tiny bit of evil in his soul. But then the witches came along. At the beginning of the story, I took an immediate disliking to Lady Macbeth. She's very, very evil. I don't care what other people say, but I think she's actually a witch and that's final. William Shakespeare is a good writer and Macbeth really shows that (laughs) why doesn't it surprise me that Leslie thought it would be weird you're right the whole story revolves around greed I feel sorry for all those who died especially Banquo they were the ones to truly feel Macbeth's wrath that's all Thirteen things which are different in Shakespeare's time and today. Number one, we do not carry daggers and kill in the streets. Two, we don't use executions nowadays. Three, we don't fall in love overnight. Four, we don't climb up on balconies, we use an elevator. Five, we don't ask for our fiancé's parents for their hand in marriage. We ask for theirs ourselves. Six, feuds don't get passed down the line. Seven, Canada's parliament isn't headed by a prince. Eight, we don't use names like Benvolio or Romeo much anymore. Nine, you don't organize the wedding on the same day you hold it. Ten, tavern guys call the police when two people are killing each other in their bar. Eleven, we would take a feud to court. Twelve, people don't stage their deaths to gain a lover. And thirteen, people don't walk to Jerusalem, Nazareth, or the Mount of Olives. Thank you. Want to know what Kristen does for a living these days? English teacher. (laughs) Off the top of the show, John read a letter about running away from home, at least until lunch. But John wasn't the only reader at our Montreal show who shared a story about running away. When Simon was 15 years old, he was uh, participating in a wilderness therapy drug rehab program, and he ran away. He was in the middle of a mountain range in Montana and was not sure if he was going to survive his escape. So he wrote what he calls a kind of final confession that he carried on him in a small leather pouch so people might be able to find it on his dead body. 
He's going to read that for us now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our stage, Simon. First, I'm going to read the letter that I left behind uh, to everyone that I ran away from. I must take control of my own life. This is a very difficult decision, but I must be on my way. Good luck to the other students, and I appreciate their support. Thank you to the staff. You did all you could, but it isn't enough. If I do die on my path to freedom, <laughs> it was completely worth it because I have the power to make a decision for myself, and I am in control. Good luck, Simon. This is the letter that I had on, my, on myself. This isn't the actual confession, just a, like a cover letter. Mom and Dad, if you are reading this and I haven't spoken to you, it means I did not get out of the wilderness successfully. <laughs> this program, I feel, was a mistake and that we could have done things on our own. I am praying that you don't have to read this, but if it turned out that I died, <laughs> I would hate to have not said goodbye. I need to get out of here, and I am doing this for myself. I love you, and I'm sorry it had to end this way. I hope to see you soon, but if not, you failed in no way with me. Everything was my decision. Montana is beautiful, and I think out of any program, this was the best. Once again, I love you, and I'm sorry it had to end this way. I will be carrying more info on my body. <laughs> so if I were to die, search my remains for more answers. Again, I signed that one. Um, <clears throat> this is the confession to my parents. My family and friends have been the most valuable things in my life. I believe drugs are anybody's choice and should be legalized, but not abused or corrupted. I planned on smoking pot either until the day I die or until I personally felt it was the time to stop. <laughs> my best friend is Tim. I want to be cremated and have my ashes spread partly with Uncle John's and partly at our home address. My greatest influence has been the art my parents showed me as a child. I've had sex with two girls. <laughs> Sophie and Karina. I did sell drugs, but only to buy weed. I never made profit. Any profit made was spent on food. My lower grades are because I really, truly did not care. I feel sorry for anybody I feel is at a permanent disadvantage to me. <laughs> Suicide has never been an option. I wish I could have gone skydiving. Moreover, I wish to have had lived the life of an adrenaline junkie. I love the outdoors and being in touch with nature. Everyone I've encountered has influenced me, and I held the highest respect for the great thinkers of the world. I believe in a higher power that runs on the basis of karma. Quesadillas made by me. <laughs> Quesadillas made by me I could live off of. 
I have lied to get where I am in life. <laughs> ben and Phil are the two kids I dislike the most. <clears throat> I have never been content in a relationship. I wish I read more. I always believed I would be famous. I love fire. <laughs> I wish to settle down and have kids. I want anyone I've ever met to know what happened to me, if they ask or show interest in knowing. <laughs> the last year has been the greatest time of my life. My favorite food is Malaysian roti. <laughs> I wish I could have been better at my music and art. I believe my high school has amazing teachers, but everything I learned I have taught myself. I have never been intimate with a girl worth having a relationship with. <laughs> the last few weeks have been the, wor the worst experience of my life. And finally, my favorite TV show ever was Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I made it about 300 miles, uh, ran about 12 and hitchhiked another 300 to the town of Missoula where I ended up getting caught and sent right back. Um, so I was, I was only out of the woods for about 24 hours, but um, they really scared us into thinking that if we tried to run, we might not make it out alive. I really felt I knew better, but just in case, um, I wanted to just at least be honest for one time in my life. Uh, I really felt like I had been living a lot of a life of deceit and wanted to tell my parents everything just in case I wouldn't have a chance to in the future. Uh, it was also a major turning point in my life. Um, I was trying to take back control. And I think the most humbling thing was a realization that my best ideas might not be working out for me um, and I was doing a lot of stupid stuff then um, and I started to become open to to some new ideas of how I might live my life just a little bit more peaceful with the world around me um, it led me to a whole lot of clarity about where my life was at what I was doing the trouble I was getting into um, and that I wanted to make a change and it's always interesting to look back at that time Growing up, one of the most important lessons you can learn is how to express yourself, how to clearly articulate the things you believe. When Bruce was 14, or maybe 15, his teacher gave the class an assignment. They had to choose an issue and write an essay, arguing for one side or the other. Now, Bruce, he decided to make his argument about the value of integrity. But he wasn't arguing for it. Nope. Bruce wrote his essay about why the world needs less integrity. Please welcome to our stage, Bruce. Yeah. 
I have seen many examples in my time <laughs> of outstanding integrity. I have often believed, in some of my wilder moments, which occur quite often, <laughs> that we would indeed be living in a much better world than we are today. I can then sit down for hours, sometimes days if I have a fever. I can expound upon the virtues of the great men of integrity of the world. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all men were like that? However, I eventually come to my senses and realize that if we were all men and women of such great integrity, then the world would be, among other things, bored out of our respective skulls. If everyone had this great virtue, then there would be no excitement in the world. No one would cheat on his wife. <laughs> there would be very few murders. <laughs> and promises would never be broken. And everyone would be truthful, giving up any possibilities for personal gain because they had too much integrity to tell a lie. No one would be ambitious because they would be afraid of hurting someone in their rise to the top. The entire economy, nay, the entire civilization of the world would crumble and eventually fall around our ears. Sure, integrity has its virtues, but if everyone were that way, the world would not really be better off than it is now. It would probably be in worse shape, that is, if that was possible. The people of integrity helped smooth out the monotonous bumping of all the graft, murder, and political conniving, but they could never build up a civilization or a culture of their own. The world really depends on crime for her well-being. <laughs> I don't say that we should ban integrity because it also has its strong points, but what I do say is this, don't encourage it. Thank you. Want to know what Bruce does in life these days? He teaches ethics and religion. At Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, we hear a lot about young love and teenage romance. And we hear a lot of stuff that's cute and awkward and a little bit goofy. But there's another side to teenage love, and that's teenage heartbreak. When Siobhan was 17, she broke up with her very first boyfriend. And it was difficult, as first breakups often are. But at the same time, she was interested in somebody new. So as a way to work out some of these feelings, Siobhan wrote a short essay, just for herself, all about the nature of love. There's this feeling you get whenever they walk into the room. Your heart does a little jump, and all of a sudden, butterflies that were dormant until this point are desperate to escape your stomach. Perhaps you don't really understand why, perhaps you don't even know them very well, perhaps you know them better than anyone else. Whenever your phone rings, you wonder if it's them, and you're disappointed when it's not. You start trying to create new ways to see them, falling just short of stalking, perhaps just happening to go into where they work when you could have gone somewhere 10 minutes closer to fill up your car or buy your milk. And then, most shocking of all, 
things start falling into place. They let you know that they feel the same way and things start to progress. Perhaps their hand brushes yours and eventually one of you brings up the courage to actually grab the other's hand, then to lean in for the goodnight kiss. People aren't too surprised when they find out. You couldn't stop talking about them anyway. Finally, you want to put a label on something to banish those terrible insecure thoughts that attack you every once in a while, in the dead of the night, in the rain, on the bus. What if they don't feel the same way after all? So you date and you're on top of the world. You start to notice even more things you adore about them, their voice, the way they look at you, the way they seem to find it harder to let you go each time you leave them. You begin to open up. There's never an awkward silence. Silence becomes peaceful. It's hard for it to be anything but when you're lying in each other's arms. They become more and more attractive to you every day. You think of more and more things you love about them. Love. Suddenly the thought crosses your mind. Now when you embrace them, when you touch, when you look into their eyes, it's no longer sufficient to tell them you're amazing. Amazing, such a powerful word when you first used it to address them, so how can it no longer suffice? And then one of you plucks up the courage to blurt it out. I love you. And then every moment you're with them is like pure sunshine. You feel on top of the world. You can no longer last a week without them. Hell, you can hardly handle a few days without them. When you're both together, you feel like you could just die then and there. There is no one else. You don't want anyone else. This is it. And it all sounds too good to be true. And that's the catch. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but one day you wake up and the same things you used to love about this person are the things that never cease to irritate you. Their lame sense of humour, their brutal honesty, their dramatic nature, who knows what it is, but it annoys you. Perhaps you're resentful that you gave up your dreams to be with them. Perhaps you finally realise that there are certain parts of people that you never really uncover until it's too late. And it is too late, because you love them, don't you? And love is unconditional. So is this love? And you spend a few months, maybe even a few years, in abject misery. And then one of you finally comes out and says it. It's not working. And you go through the most heart-wrenching, painful time of your life. You hate the world. You hate them. You don't know where it all went wrong. You begin to go numb, to feel nothing, to shut yourself off. You swear never to put yourself through so much pain again. You're certain that you can live your whole life free of love because it isn't real, it isn't unconditional, and it never lasts. If this is what love is, you don't want a bar of it. And after a few months, maybe a few years, you meet someone. Or perhaps they were there all along. They make you laugh, they make you smile, but you keep your heart guarded. You know how you felt last time. You know there's no point in risking hurting yourself and someone else again. But love is mysterious, isn't it? Cupid seems to be working away at you, and suddenly you find yourself with that familiar ache in your stomach. And slowly, you want to love them. And that scares you even more. You know you're supposed to love like you've never been hurt, but it's hard to put so much hurt out of your mind. Eventually, you're willing. Perhaps this person is the one. Perhaps they treat you so much better than the person before them. Perhaps you're their first love, or perhaps they've been hurt before too. And part of you thinks you must be crazy to put so much bitterness behind you, but suddenly you don't even care if you get hurt. You're deliriously happy again, and this is true sunshine. And perhaps a little sunshine is worth a little pain every once in a while.
Siobhan told me that this past year, she went through another breakup as she and her partner of six years moved to different parts of the world. And she told me that a lot of what she wrote at 17 still resonates. Even though it sounds dramatic when you consider a 17-year-old wrote it, I think I could feel some of the same feelings I've described in certain parts of it. I guess if I could go back and give myself advice about love or relationships, you know, 17-year-old Siobhan, I think I would say you know you best and that you're perfectly capable of making your own decisions and choices for your life. But I think actually the most important thing for me to read again was perhaps a little sunshine is worth a little pain every once in a while. Our next reader, Gina, grew up reading books from the Sweet Valley High series. Now, if you don't know Sweet Valley High, it follows the adventures of a pair of identical twins named Jessica and Elizabeth. So when Gina was eight and she decided to write her own adventure story about a pair of twin sisters, she knew exactly what to name them. Elizabeth was a girl. She was 13 years old. Jessica was also 13 years old. She was Elizabeth's sister. One day they were taking a walk in the woods. All of a sudden, Jessica fell into a deep hole. She screamed. I will help you, called Elizabeth. She ran home and got a rope. Then she ran back and looked into the hole. Here is a rope, she said. She put the rope into the hole. Jessica held on to it. But Jessica was heavier than Elizabeth, so when Jessica pulled on the rope, Elizabeth fell into the hole with her. Elizabeth was lucky she had a flashlight. She turned it on. Hey, said Elizabeth, there is a tunnel here. Do you think we should go inside? Yes, said Jessica. Okay then, said Elizabeth, let's go. They went through the tunnel. When they got to the end of the tunnel, a little wizard appeared. Could you please tell us where we are? Asked Jessica. You are in China, said the wizard. We can't be in China, said Elizabeth. We only came through a tunnel from Rocky Harbor, which is a village in Newfoundland that I grew up in. (laughs) You guys are really dumb, said the wizard. (laughs) Haven't you heard about the tunnel to China? You mean the hole to China, said Elizabeth. Well, whatever, said the wizard. Did you hear about the hole to China? Yes, said Jessica, but I didn't know that it existed. Of course it exists, said the wizard. Do you want to stay here for a while or do you want to go home now? Hmm, I'd like to stay for a while, said Elizabeth. Are you crazy, said Jessica? Our parents don't know that we're even here. Well, let's go and tell them, said Elizabeth. All right, said Jessica. So the two girls went home, but they didn't tell their parents the truth. They told their parents that they wanted to camp out in the woods during the weekend. What do you think, Tom? Elizabeth's mother asked as she looked out the window. Elizabeth's father just looked up from his newspaper and said, Okay, honey. (laughs) So the girls took their tent and went into the woods. They went into the hole and through the tunnel. The wizard was waiting for them. Boy, you two are slowpokes, he said. Sorry, said Jessica. Where are we going to pitch our tent, Jessica? Said Elizabeth. Over there, said Jessica. But I was planning a castle for you, said the wizard. 
a, a castle, said Elizabeth. Thank you, wizard, but we're only staying here for the weekend. We have school on Monday, said Jessica. Forget about school, said the wizard. You're in grade eight anyway. Okay, what about that castle, said Elizabeth. It's over there, said the wizard. There's nothing over there but a pile of rocks, said Jessica. Look again, said the wizard. And he waved his magic wand, and in five seconds, the pile of rocks turned into a beautiful castle. Wow, said Elizabeth. That's not all, said the wizard. So he waved his magic wand, and pretty soon, each girl was holding a briefcase. <laughs> What's in the briefcases? Asked Jessica. Ten million dollars for each of you, <laughs> said the wizard. The two girls were gone for only two days now. And it was Monday. Oh my goodness, said Jessica, we have to go home. Mom and Dad must be worried. Let them worry, said Elizabeth. We will visit them later, like maybe in a couple years. <laughs> oh, all right then, said Jessica. In a couple of years, the girls were old enough to start dating, so they decided to do just that. <laughs> Elizabeth and Jessica were walking one day and they met two handsome boys. Hello, said the girls. At once, the girls knew they were in love. <laughs> And at once, the boys were in love with the girls. One day in May, the two couples decided to get married. So the girls went back home. When they got home, there was a big hole where their parents' home had been. They went to the police and asked what had happened, and their, they said that their parents' house had burned up, and they had to move away. Where did they go? To Arizona, said the police. So they asked the wizard, is there a hole to Arizona? And he said, no. There was only the hole from Rocky Harbor to China. Well, thank you for helping us, they said to the police. And then... Now Elizabeth and Jessica were 20. And they both got pregnant and had babies. <laughs> Jessica got pregnant and had twins. She named them Patrick and Patricia. Elizabeth got pregnant, and in nine months, she had triplets. She had two boys and one girl. One was Mike, one was Michael, and the other girl was named Michelle. <laughs> there was a lot more housework, so they asked their husbands if they could pitch in around the house, and the husbands said they did not want to help around the house. <laughs> So it was time to hire more servants. So they hired three, one named John, one named James, and the other was named Jane, and they did all the housework. Thank you. My favorite part of Gina's story is the way in which it celebrates the rich cultural history of China. <laughs> that is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live in Montreal at La Salarosa and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is an independent production supported by listeners like you. If you like this show and you want to help us keep making it, visit grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com and click support the show. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>